0: We're so glad you've joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story with us at pastor at relevant 316com If you would also like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at relevant316.com. There you can select a giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Amen. Amen. So... I'm starting to realize how African I really am. Like, like, you know, you could take the African out of Africa, but, you know, the African remains African no matter where they go. And uh, the other day we were invited to go to a birthday party and I, I accepted the invitation They they sent it in. Actually, the person told me, invited me in person, and I said, yeah, we'll be there. It's a birthday party for a close friend of mine. I'm like, of course, we'll be there. Then they sent me an email invitation, and I kind of just looked at it and ignored it, right? Because Africans don't RSVP. It's like, it's serious. It's like, you know, are you coming? Yes, I am coming to the party. I will not miss it for anything. So (laughs) on Friday... The wife of the person who was throwing this, who was uh, the party was for, sends me a text message. Hey, I never received your RSVP. I'm like, we're coming. I told you we're coming. African. I don't, I don't know if Latinos do this or other groups do this, but it's like, why do I need to send an RSVP? My sister got married a few, like a year before Pauline and I, uh, Nikki and Kevin got married, and, and uh, at their wedding... The wedding was in Michigan, in our hometown. At their wedding, they had close to close to almost a thousand people showed up to the reception. Right? I learned the lesson. I was like, I am not having the wedding in my hometown, because you had half of Rwanda showing up, half of Malawi showing up, and all these Africans that you didn't know who they were, but they were they claimed to be related to you somehow. The wedding ceremony itself, the part that doesn't cost as much money, was moderately attended the reception was packed the part that you actually pay for because that's how africans do Uh, i have to work second shift i'll be there for the reception i'll be there when you feed me amen (laughs) praise the lord Pauline and I are like, no, we're not going to do, do the wedding in Michigan. We're not going to do the, the wedding in Toronto where she's from. There's no way because if we do it there, everyone and their mama, you have all kinds of people showing up claiming to be related. So we decided to have the wedding in Phoenix where we knew hardly anyone, where family had to buy a plane ticket. If you wanted to come to our wedding, you needed to invest in hotel rooms and plane tickets, right? A well, strategic. So we have the wedding and guess what happens? We, we, we did this thing where we, um, we hired a photo booth where you could take a picture with your, you know, whoever you came to the wedding with, and, and you'd get a picture, and then we'd get a copy of it, and they made this big old photo book of, of everyone who, who took pictures in the photo booth. And so after, like, you know, weeks after we're married, we received the, the photo book in, in the mail, and we're looking at it like, who are these people? <laughs> who are they? Did you invite them? No, I thought you knew them. I don't know who they are. Till this day, we go back to Arizona and visit some friends out there, and we'll run into people, and they'll say, Hey, Jonathan, Pauline, we loved your wedding. We were there. And I'm like, who are you? How did you get invited? How did you RSVP? You think I learned my lesson about RSVPing and, you know, checking if you were on the list. Amen, somebody. What I'm trying to get at this morning is that the church exists as an invitation to the world the church exists as an invitation to the world if you believe that God's only purpose for your life was to save you you would have gotten raptured the moment you came down the altar It would have been game, set, match, you're done. Your purpose in this life is over. God wanted to save you. No, but he leaves you on this planet with the purpose of you being part of the church so that you can be an active invitation to the world. The Bible is is the invite. Come on, somebody. And you are the inviter. The church fully engaged is actively inviting those who are outside the church to come in, welcome home. Come and be part of this party that we're enjoying in Jesus. Amen. Problem is that most people believe that God's mad at them. They don't believe that God is an inviter. Are y'all with me? The thing is that the, the Bible from the very beginning to the very end of it, what you'll discover is nothing more than God inviting his people back to relationship, back to wholeness, back to restoration. Adam and Eve are in the garden and, and they're, they're walking with God. They're, 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 they're communing with God, but, but they, they sin and, and they fall out of favor with God. And what happens, the very next thing that, that they realize, number one, they realize that they're naked because they no longer have the light of God around them. And then they go and hide. How many of y'all have experienced someone hiding from the relationship where you can no longer have a transparent communication with people that you're supposed to trust the most? They go and they hide. And as they're hiding, it says that God shows up and looks for them. And he's like, Adam, where are you? Now, now the thing about that is that you, there, there's a part of me that, um, uh, Joetta, that, that growing up, I, I sort of believed that, that when God was asking, where are you, it was sort of like a, I'm coming to get you. You messed up. There's, there's a little bit of a hint of that. Like, you messed up, now God's coming. Where are you? What did you do? Who did it? Who did it first? Who influenced you? Why did you do it? You, you, you kind of get that sense and that feeling, Right? But the thing is that when God is asking Adam, where are you? He's not coming to Adam to say, Adam, I'm going to give you your punishment. The, the, the majority of and the biggest point of God's, God's discourse with Adam and Eve after their sinning was to tell them, I have good news. I have good news. You messed up and there are consequences. However, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. I'm inviting you to something. I'm going to fix this thing. Are y'all with me? I've got a solution. And so from that point forward, God starts sending inviters. He starts sending inviters. You know them as prophets. Prophets who cry out. Patriarchs who cry out. He sends the, the, the book of the law, which is an invitation, come back to me. Over and over in the New Testament, you'll see words like this. uh, uh, All ye who are thirsty, come and drink. Come and buy bread without money. Anybody read that before? Isaiah 55. In in Psalms, you, you, you hear the psalmist saying, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Over and over, all God is saying, I'm inviting you to something. To bring you to myself. So this invitation continues. God sends inviters. But the problem is that most of us believe that, that God's mad at us. And, and so point number one, if you're taking notes, um, uh, the church, the church, can you please throw that up on the overhead? The church is God's invitation to the world. The church is God's invitation to the world. However, the world, most of us, if you're like me, believe that God was mad at you. God is out to get you. Because here's the thing. Let me just be confessional with you. Can I be confessional? See, growing up, we used to sing these songs. You better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You better mind. Judgment day is coming. You better mind. You better mind while you walk. You better mind where you're walking to. Judgment day is coming. You better mind. And I love the song. I mean, it's like, you know, you sing along. But when you start thinking about the words, oh, yeah, you better be careful. <laughs> judgment day is coming. And so when you think about God's coming back, God's returning, all you're thinking about is judgment day is coming. And then you think about where did you walk to last night? Come on, don't say it out loud. You better mind what you say. You better mind who are you saying it to. What did you say this morning? What did you post on your Insta? What did you post on your Snapchat? You know it disappears in 30 seconds. <laughs> Judgment day is coming. You better mind. You better mind what you snap. You better mind what you're snapping about. 2017 version. And so you get this idea that God is out to get you. God is mad at you. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, David has won all his victories. He's, he's done all that he had to do with Saul and, and all the controversies. And now he's, he's seated at his table and he's enjoying his, his reign as king over Israel. The people love him. The women have danced in the streets for him. Life is good for, for David. And at that point, he could say, you know what? I've defeated all my enemies. Everything is done. But David remembers a covenant. The Bible is all about covenants. The reason, reason why we experience grace is because God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. And so David, in this story, in 2, Kings chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9, he, he remembers a promise, which is sort of like the gospel, that he made with Jonathan. So I'll read you the, the passage. It goes like this. Says, and David, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. If you want to go do some research, go back and, and research what the covenant was with Jonathan that David made. Verse 2, now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And he, he called out to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still not someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan, he is crippled in his feet. I'll just pause it real quick. The reason why it gives you that description is because um, uh, this, is, this is good news right here. If you had a black man on Oregon, who could preach on this right here? It's a preaching moment. It says he is crippled in his feet. See, here's the thing. If you are crippled, if you are lame, you are not allowed to eat at the king's table. You were broken, too broken to be in the presence of the king. As a matter of fact, if you trail back a few verses, uh, you, you'll find that, that one of the ways that one of David's enemies kept him away from approaching his city was they put the lame and the blind people in front of the gate of the city to ward off David. It was detestable for a king to be in the presence of cripples. The law said that if you were a crippled person, you don't enter the temple. And so he says, yeah, there is someone, but he's, he. You, you don't need to show your grace to them because they're crippled in their feet is what's inferred by that statement. He goes on, verse 4, the king said to him, where is he? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Are you seeing it right now? Where is he? Now, the thing about this, I'll, I'll pause because because it, it Okay, I'm going to start a trend where where Christians can be honest with each other. Some of y'all watch Game of Thrones. um, And you need to know that Jesus is watching it with you. Okay, let that just sink in and you be convicted. But if you watch Game of Thrones or any any shows that's kind of like period to a, a monarchy, whenever someone takes rulership, what you're supposed to do as the ruling authority is get rid of the lineage of your competitor, of your enemy. Right? Because what will happen is that that, that child will grow up, Daenerys. Why do I even know the names? I don't know. <laughs> will grow up and want to reclaim their position as the king. So you're supposed to get rid of all the lineage. This young man knows that his, he is part of the line of Saul. His father, Jonathan, was supposed to be the next king. But someone else has come in and, and he's hiding. And he finds out that the ruling king is looking for him. Where are you? He's out to kill me. Are you guys following this? Where is he? Asked David. And Ziba said he is in the house of Makar. The son of Amuel in Lodabar. Lodabar, the, the, the meaning of the word Lodabar simply means no green pastures. He's in a desolate place. He's in a place of hiding. He is exiled. He is completely in. He's, he's hiding under this person's house. We, we know he, where he is, but it's not a place where you need to go. It's a place of obscurity. There are people in your life who are living in Lodabar. Thinking that God's angry with them. You used to live in low to bar. Because you are low, be low the bar. Amen. <laughs> Living low, down low. Keep it on the down low. Okay, amen. Let's go. Then the king. Verse 5, sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Amuel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And and David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Whenever you read passages like this, just for your Bible study, you you need to understand that there's a reason why the writer is is, is making sure they understand. He says, "And, and Mephibosheth. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. That's not supposed to happen. They're supposed to be separated, Se- separate. You guys following. He says, "Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, "Do not fear. The very first thing that, that, that God says to you, if you're far away from him, is He speaks peace to you. I have good news. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm madly in love with you. Do not fear, for I'll show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. God's saying, I'm going to show you kindness because of my son, Jesus. Are you guys following this? This is gospel stuff. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, sh- and you shall eat at my tables always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. How many of you all know that when you enter into relationship with God, it's full restoration? Are are y'all seeing this? I don't have time to like, you know, I could spend like three weeks on this passage right here. But full restoration takes place for this young man. I'll jump down to to verse 11. It says, And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will the servant do so. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. The church is God's invitation. And what is the invitation? Point number two, we're invited to the king's table. Though we were broken, though we were lost, though we were exiled, though we were low and below the bar, God calls us, speaks peace to us, restores us fully, makes us and gives us an inheritance. How many of y'all have ever read in the Bible where, it's, where it says that we are now co heirs with Christ? Are you guys seeing this? We receive the full rightship as king, sons and daughters of the king. That is what it means to be brought back to God. We're invited to the king's table. Now, it's, a lot of us can think, well, that's, that's future. That's, that's not right now. That's, that's future. We're, yes, yes, this is, this is good stuff. But here's the thing about it. While we're invited to the king's table and we we, we are co-heirs of Christ and that's where we are positionally, here on earth, the next thing that he invites us to is to fellowship. Point number three, we're invited to fellowship. In 1 John, if you jump to 1 John uh, chapter 1, you'll you'll discover a, a, a verse that's often missed because a lot of us grow up in, in, in the church and we think that my Christianity is my personal thing my religion is my personal thing and I'm just going to do Jesus with me in, in the closet just, I stay in my prayer closet hello somebody First John says these words he says uh, in verse 3 he says that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us Christianity is together with us that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and we're writing these things so that your joy may be complete you cannot have an authentic Christian life by yourself you're only complete when you're with us are y'all following when you're with us now watch this. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. Transparency. Are you, are you following this? If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. When you're walking in darkness, darkness often is, is associated with, with you being in isolation. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Walking in the light requires fellowship with one another. Are you guys with me? And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin. Mm, this is where Christianity hits, gets really, really grimy, if I can be really real with you. Because having been a Christian for about three minutes now, what I've discovered is that the toughest thing about being a Christian is often other Christians. Like if it was just me and Jesus, it would be good. I would have worship songs all the time. You notice you never you never hear a worship song that goes like this I love you, Lord, and I love your people. Most of the time it's I love you, Lord, kill your people. Deliver me from these demons, Lord. The, 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 the truth about your walk with Christ is that the reason why you, you have to rub shoulders with, with Dion and, and Matt and, and Marissa and, and Chris and, and, and have to work things out and, and have to have tension is because God wants you to practice forgiveness the way you've been forgiven. God wants you to, to, to experience how you, how you love somebody. I mean, the, the thing about it is that when, you, when you're a Christian for a, for a while, you'll look at people and say, my goodness, thank you for saving me, but Lord, can you continue the work that you began in this person? Otherwise, I'll kill them so they see you fast. <laughs> that we may have fellowship with each other But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you a question. Sort of a trick question. But has God already forgiven you of your sin? Then why does he ask you to confess your sins? I think that the, that, the, that the primary focus of this confession, yes, it's to God, but sometimes it's us saying, I'm sorry to each other. Over And the, the biggest problem in America today is people don't know how to apologize. I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry that you thought you were offended. Those are good right there, right? Anybody ever use those words before? I was doing, listen, I'm sorry that that you're stupid. (laughs) The unfiltered version. I'm sorry that you see things that way. What happened in the days of just a good old, I apologize. I was wrong. And here's how I was wrong against you. A lot of times we don't care about what we did wrong. We want to point out what they did wrong and then apologize. Well, you did this, this, and that, Well, and I'm sorry that things turned out this way. What if we started practicing amongst each other a confession of here's where I am? I messed up. Here's where I stuffed it. Here's where I, I, I went wrong. Here's where my mindset and my, my perception was, might have been skewed a little bit. And, and, and it led me to, to have these attitudes towards you. If we confess to our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us. What we do horizontally with each other, God cleanses Are y'all with me? This is good preaching. I'm sorry. If you can't say amen, just, you know. So, so here, here's the thing about fellowship. Here at Relevant Church, we, we do these things called regroups, of which I have signed up. We do these things called regroups. And, and, and the reason why we do regroups is because um, uh, we want people to, to develop relationships. Um, uh, some people say, well, I'm... I don't want to go to some stranger's house and sit in their living room for an hour out of my week. And why would I do that? That's, that's just dumb. I go to church, I go to work, and, and that's it. But we're inviting you to fellowship. That's what we're invited to. Jesus started his first, his, could Jesus have saved the world all by himself? Absolutely. But he called 12 morons to follow him around. I mean, did those 12 disciples get along with each other? Not at all. And everyone in the church in 2017 is upset about being in church because I can't get along with some of those people over there. Listen, Jesus had the same problem with 12 dudes. They were always fighting over seating charts. Fighting over who's going to be first, who's greatest, who's least among them. Listen, let me tell you something. The disciples had a a zealot. That was a revolutionary. I don't even know what they they call the the, the group today. But this guy was like a complete, like, he was a mercenary. He was completely, his party association was way, way, way left. Then you had Matthew, a tax collector, who by profession had sold out the nation of Israel. Eating. Dinner, breakfast, and doing ministry work with a zealot who wanted to kill him. That, that that's the dynamics. And God calls us to come together so He can cleanse us. Are y'all following me? Matt, come up here real quick and Maria too. And Noel, come on up here. Come on up here, real quick, quick, quick. Um uh Dion, let's go. This guy. Gabrielle, come on up. Um, We'll take one more. Marissa. Marissa's all trying to look away like. (laughs) All right, you're going to be my, you're going to be the special, (laughs) the special one. All right, so, so, so this is how most people like to do church. By myself over here, my own individual life. And the Bible teaches us that the devil's out prowling like a roaring lion, seeking who him he may devour. You've heard that verse before, right? Let me ask you a question. Let's say this is a church. Y'all gather up. We're the church. We love each other. I love you. You love me. Pretend you love each other. Go ahead. Between this, these two, this two groups right here, right, which one is more, most likely to be devoured by an enemy right now? Right? Here by yourself, doing church in your coffee shop, in your closet, listening to Chris Tomlin in your car, <laughs> reading Jesus Calling in the morning. But God designs you for fellowship over here so you can be protected. Let me ask you a question. Come over here real quick, Marissa. You love this, I know. All right. I want, these guys have not been This has not been rehearsed, so you could go completely wrong all right i want you guys to show me you're the church you're the loving community you're the regroup around marissa let's say marissa has had a very difficult week she's depressed she's had a loss in her family what would you do to marissa physically right i want you to show me physically what you how you'd be there for her This is unrehearsed, y'all. Okay, all right, all right. Now that's a little too close for comfort. <laughs> all right. Now I want you to show me what it would look like if there was an enemy coming against Marissa and she was vulnerable, how would you, how would you stand for her physically? Just if you can show me. This is what fellowship does. This is why we do regroup. Are y'all with me? Okay, I'll, we'll, do, we'll do one more thing. Let's say, let's say Marissa is, is is messing up, and she's like, you know, things are just not. She's making some poor choices. How would you treat Marissa physically? Show me show me a physical action of what how you would treat Marissa if she was going off the wrong path. <laughs> fellowship is for accountability it's for protection amen Amen. and it's also for standing in solidarity with your brother and your sister because Christianity is us together this is what God called us to do do you know that whole thing about how the gates of hell will not prevail? It doesn't happen by you doing church by yourself. It happens in solidarity, us walking together, <laughs> moving forward. Are you all with me? Yeah. Give these guys a hand. Yeah. It calls us to fellowship. So as we get ready for regroup, let me tell you, this is why we, we value this so much. We value the fellowship. You're invited to fellowship. We invite you to come and gather on Sunday mornings. But this is fine and dandy. But but, but in the New Testament, there are over 51 one-to-anothers that take place in the New Testament. And I want to let you know something. One-to-another does not take place with you just looking at me. It only happens when you stand together in solidarity. When you cover each other. Are you all with me? Regroup is where it's at. You're invited to the table. You're invited to fellowship. And you're invited to work the harvest. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says these words. He says that the the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You're invited to come and work with Jesus. You're invited to come and be a part of this. You get to do the Jesus stuff. Y'all with me? So, so here's the thing about it. The reason why most of us get, get, get stopped in, in, in serving God is because most of us don't know how. Anybody ever been in that position? Like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know all the verses. I don't know all the songs. I'm new at this thing. I grew up Catholic. This whole Christian thing, you know, lights, and where's the altar? There's no altar. All these different things that go on in your head about how, why you cannot, I don't have the time. I don't have to do all these things. Let me tell you something. You'll never understand how God is and how his church works until you get involved with his church as a laborer in his harvest. So, yesterday, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my message, and I want to show you a picture of what it looks like. For those of you who feel as if you're not good enough, this, this is, this is what, what serving God looks like. I have a picture to show you of me and my son last, yesterday. You have that picture? Oh, give him a second. There we are. That's my son, and I'm his shadow behind him. (laughs) Melanin, amen. And uh, all afternoon, all I'm trying to do is is get my notes together, get my message together, and the entire time, my son's coming into the office saying, "Daddy, I want to help you. I want to help you preach." And I'm like, okay, why why don't you go? And he was in trouble, because the day before he had messed up, and and I told him no iPad, no phone, nothing all day long, right? So I couldn't, like, find the babysitter called YouTube Kids. And so I had to find, so I gave him a book. He went and sat down for a second. He's like, I don't want to do this. I want to help you. Let's write the message. I'm like, okay, come on. Sit on my lap. So we're sitting on my lap, and so my son has his little paper there, that's his sermon right there. As a matter of fact, it's my notes this morning. <laughs> this, this, was, this was our message that we put together, together. We worked on this together. And, and then he has additional notes here. And uh, I asked him what this meant. He said, God, 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 God. And I'm like, what's the other side? Love. I'm like, wow, you're amazing, son. You can, you can be a preacher now. So, so we put this message together. together, And, and, and uh, after a while of going back and forth like this, he finally said, Daddy, we're all done. All done. We did it. And I'm like, yeah, we did it. And he gets all excited. He loves saying, I did it and we did it. And he starts dancing. We did it. We did it. We're done. Let's go play outside now. And in the back of my head, it's like, I haven't done anything. As a matter of fact, you've been in my way the whole time. But I want to tell you something. There was a closeness and a bonding that took place during that moment when he was involved with my work and I involved him in my work. Serving God, most of the time, We're just getting in his way. But let me tell you something. I get to know his heart. And there's a closeness that takes place. Because here's the thing. I don't save anyone. But when I'm part of something, where I see someone get saved, I celebrate. God, we did it. We've got to be a part of that. Amen? We're invited to work and be a part of the harvest. And the thing about it is that God does not just call us to be slaves who work in the harvest, but the thing is that we're working with him out of relationship. Point number five, we're invited to relationship. First John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Amen? And so we are. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Relevant Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat.